welcome to our Kingdom Culture Podcast. For today's message, we are thankful for what God is doing through this podcast to encourage and transform lives around the world. If you have a story to share about how God has encouraged or transformed your life through this podcast, we would love to hear about it by emailing us at mystory@kingdomculture.ca. If you would like to support this ministry financially to help us bring messages like this to you every week, you can do so online at kingdomculture.ca at the Give option. We also would love to connect with you on our social media, on Instagram and Twitter at KC Ottawa, and Facebook at Facebook slash Kingdom Culture Ottawa. We pray that you would experience God today and be encouraged through today's message. Enjoy! But welcome to Kingdom Culture. My name is Sean Gaby. I have the amazing privilege of being the lead pastor of this house, along with my wife, Michelle Gaby. And we're just so thankful for what God is doing in this house and this season. And... Um, you know, I just came back from a little bit of a vacation. Thank you very much. And I just want to say a special thank you to uh, Eduardo and Harley for holding down the platform while I was gone, and the team for making things happen seamlessly each and every week. And so thank you, thank you for all to all the team, all the leaders in this house that make Sunday and make our experience so powerful. So that's so that anybody can come in and experience you. Our, our heart here is to help everyone everywhere experience God in a real way. If you don't leave with an experience, we haven't done our job. Because encountering God is an experience. You cannot put your hand into a light socket and not feel something. So how much more the creator of the universe that you say lives inside of you, or that you don't even know is present in the room, when you encounter him, everything changes. And so our hope and our heart here is to facilitate an environment to the best of our ability, led by the Holy Spirit, so that you encounter and experience the reality of God. We don't want you to experience religion. We want you to experience the one who's designed you for relationship. Two very, very different experiences. And so I just want to say thank you to the whole team and for continuing that while we were gone. I heard some amazing reports. Even one Sunday I heard like just it was off the chain, like just off the charts. I don't know what happens, more than one, but I heard one specifically. One guy told me, he's like, I've never cried so much in the service in my entire life. I just, I love that. When grown men cry, you know something's happening. When women cry, we're like, okay, that's okay. No, I'm just joking. But when grown tough guys cry, you know something's happening. God is moving. You know, in light of what we've done already in this experience so far with dedicating to children, we, I believe that in some ways we are in a dedication type of a season. You know, every time you celebrate an anniversary, every time you celebrate a moment, you're really rededicating something, right? When you celebrate a birthday, you're rededicating in a sense, like, for many more birthdays, right? Are you in the room with me this morning? We're in, a, I believe, sort of a dedication season, and, you know, I want you to mark a few things on your calendar. September 3rd, we are celebrating 11 years as a house, even though even though we're, we're actually at 20 years in ministry, well, myself anyways, but as a church, a local church with many different changes and transitions, 11 years. So we're celebrating that September 3rd. I'd encourage you to be in the room with us on that Sunday. It's going to be an amazing, amazing Sunday. And right after that, September 8th, like you heard, we have Sean Foy coming in uh, of the Lettuce Worship Movement. For those of you that don't know, this was a movement born really uh, in a, the pandemic in the U.S. when churches couldn't worship. They just run it to the street. 
Thousands and thousands were getting baptized, uh, getting saved, delivered, healed. And so we're facilitating among many other churches in the city. We are facilitating on the ground as Kingdom Culture an event outside, uh, just worship, prayer, healing, deliverance. It's going to be a powerful night. And so if you haven't registered for that event, I'd encourage you to register for that event. All the details are online. And as well, like my wife said, Pastor Michelle said, we have our counselors coming in on September 30th. Uh, for a special registration, limited seating. So you want to get yourself on the waiting list. Very, very limited seating. Uh, mini marriage retreat. So if you want to take your marriage to the next level, you must be in the room for this. And there's a couple reasons for this. There's nobody that I know like this couple. And I have encouraged many people over the years to see many different marriage counselors as a pastor. You know, I have seen many different types of marriage counselors over the years. There's no one like this couple. Let me tell you why, okay? The reason why is because, yes, they are faith-based, counseling-oriented marriage family counsel counselors, but he also is a Ph.D. clinical sexologist, which is very unusual. Most of the time, that's a, that's a secularized practice. And so he packs both worlds. Let me just tell you, he packs a punch. Let me just tell you. Okay? For all those married couples out there, I want to encourage you. I'm telling you right now, mark my words, you have never encountered a couple like this. I have never been more inspired by a couple in my life. It doesn't matter what age or stage you're at, you all need oil in your vehicle. No matter how old your car is, you still bring it to the mechanic. It doesn't matter what age. It's not for newly married couples, not for middle age, not for older middle age. Anybody who's married in the house, let me tell you, it is going to change the game. So book your babysitters. Get ready. It's going to be an amazing time. I'm going to turn this off. And uh, we'll, it's like the annual tradition that I do in this house. I turn off the snare drum. But hey, I'm excited about this season. And I believe that we're just dedicating some stuff and rededicating some stuff in the fall our heart to worship. We're dedicated, rededicating this house, and I just believe that God is going to save some marriages in this season and, and, and strengthen some marriages in this season. At the beginning of the year, we rolled out this theme. Uh, it was a three-staged theme for the year. We really felt like God wanted to shift the landscape of who we are as a house. And so, we shared three things that God really wanted to highlight. One of them was the revelation of community. One of them, which we spent like probably four months on in the first part of the year. One of them was the revelation of generosity. And the other one was the revelation of the gospel. We are sitting in this theme right now on the revelation of generosity. How many like generosity? How many like being the recipient of generosity? How many like being the one who is generous? Every hand should go up. Every hand should go up. There's nothing like being able to be generous. There's no greater gift than to be generous. The one who is able to give the gift is more powerful than the one that is receiving it. Always, every day of the week. And I'm just reciting scripture for you. Romans 12 verse 8 says there is actually a gift of generosity. If you break this generosity word down in the Greek, it actually means to uncomplicate it. It means to give without folds. If you want to be generous, you can't be complicated in your generosity. Real kingdom, biblical generosity is an uncomplicated generosity. It's without folds, without condition. Generosity is not buying this, your friend a coffee and saying to him, you'll get me next time. 
That's a, that's a giving with conditions. No, when you're generous, you just give without any condition, without any fold, without any complication. If I buy you a dinner, I don't say to you at the end of the dinner, you can get me next time. That is a condition. I don't want your dinner. I don't want your free dinner. Because now I feel obliged. That's not generosity. Little note, if you've done that, if you do that, stop doing it. Nobody likes it. Let's just say it. Nobody likes it. Just give. Just be generous. Don't put a condition on it. Don't put a hope attached to it. Next time you can get me, just give. That's what, gener- that's what kingdom generosity looks like. God just gave, and he loves you unconditionally. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave. If he only gave with a condition that you would love him back, it wouldn't be unconditional love. But he is the epitome of unconditional love who is giving, 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 giving to you all, all the time without a condition. Now, obviously, he would love for you to respond. His heart is that you would respond, but there's no condition attached to his love. So how do we dedicate the things that God has given us in this season? How do we be generous? Let me just tell you, be uncomplicated. Uncomplicate the things that are complicated in your life. Before I left on a little bit of a a vacay in July which was interrupted, let me just tell you, and I'll explain why a little later. Um, I, I shared what I believe is the most powerful, one of the most powerful re- personal revelations and corporate revelations that I've had for this house in a long time. That I believe is to shape and sculpt the culture of this house in the next season. And for some of you that, were in, that have been in the room in the last five weeks, you may have seen a video twice me sharing and recounting, kind of hashing a little bit of that revelation. And when it comes to stuff like this, like if I get up here and speak 52 messages a year and nobody applies anything, I'm wasting my time and you're wasting your time. Right? That's unfortunately a lot of the churches and it's so depressing and I want nothing to do with it. I see a lot of people just kind of go through the motions because they get their retirement package at the end of the year. They go through the motions. Nobody really cares. They show up. They do their spiritual duty by sitting in a pew, but they don't live out a life that anybody is trying to encourage them to live out. That is not kingdom. If you don't apply the word, you are actually living in one of the greatest deceptions. James addresses this in James chapter 1. He says, if you are a hearer only, you are deceiving yourselves. If you hear but don't do, you are living in a deception. You are living in a form of disobedience. And so I believe that this revelation, if we can get this revelation, it will change the face of not only our culture, but it's a word for the corporate C culture, the big C church in Canada. It will change the game. And one of the things that I'm just going to reference a few things here. One of the things I talked about is this, when we are in a new type of a season and the flow that used to flow in a previous one stops, what do you do? How many, how many have been in a season where you've been in a certain rhythm and then all of a sudden that rhythm stops and it's like you don't know what to do with yourself? You've been in a season where you were receiving provision from one type of a job for a long time. That contract, that job changed. You, maybe you got let go. Maybe your contract ended. And now the flow is stopped. So now what do you do? What is God calling you to do? You cannot live in the new season like you did in the old one. 
Israel had this issue. Israel had manna, supernatural waif, honey wafers, literally that's what they were, provided for them for 40 years every morning. They had free breakfast, continental breakfast, every single morning on the house. They'd wake up and they'd just gather it off the ground. Imagine that. You wake up every morning, and it's like you don't have to do anything. You don't have to harvest. You don't have to cook the egg. You don't have to make anything, bake anything. You just go, and you get the manna. You get the food off the ground, and you eat it. Imagine that for a second, what that would feel like. In that season, coming out of a wilderness or coming out of a slavery season where they had their meals taken care of for 400 years in Egypt, God was introducing them now as supernatural provider. I'm introducing you to a new side of my nature that you've never known before. Before, yeah, you saw my provision through your slavery. You saw my, my provision through Egypt, uh, Egypt providing for you the meals that you needed, but yet you were in slavery. Now you're free from slavery, and I'm introducing myself as Jehovah Jireh, the one who provides every single morning. Man in the morning, quail at night. Imagine that. Two solid meals a day. You don't have to do anything. But for 40 years, they had this. They lived like, they lived like this. But then 40 years eventually stopped. And they crossed over. And they crossed over into the promised land that was flowing with milk and honey. And now all of a sudden, the moment they got into the new land, the new season, it says the manna stopped. The flow stopped. That rhythm stopped. That provision stopped. Not because God wasn't faithful. Not because God wasn't going to provide. But the way he provided in the new season would be unlike the way he provided in the previous one. And now God's like, okay, now you got to... You got to harvest. You got to create. You got to, you, I'm going to give you the power to get wealth. I gave you what you needed in the wilderness, provided for you, but now you have to till the ground. You have to toil a little bit. You got to grind a little bit, and that's how you're going to get the wealth in the next, that's how you're going to get the provision in the next season. You, are you tracking with me here? We can't take methodology into every new season. We get used to God's method in one season. We can't expect that God's method will be present in the next one. God healed three different blind men in Scripture, six different accounts, three different people. All healed differently. All healed with different methodology. You can, the moment you get used to a method, the moment you begin to worship the method is the moment you miss the breakthrough. You miss the miracle every time. So don't mistake the way God moves in the beginning of your journey to how he will move in the middle of your journey. God gave Israel an instruction to his supernatural provision in one season to prepare them for the instruction to create supernatural provision in another season. So there, this is what God spoke to me. He said, there are, Sean, there are seasons of introduction where I introduce myself in a certain way that they've never known before or you've never known before. And then there are seasons of instruction. We have to discern between the two. There are seasons of introduction and then seasons of instruction. You tracking with me? When God starts to move in instruction, man, we got to lean in. The introduction season is easy. It's like, you know, when you first give your life to Jesus, it's like, it's like the sky is all of a sudden more blue than it's ever been before. Like everything is just, it's easy. It's like you see God everywhere. Then you go through some stuff and God's like, okay, now I'm taking all that introduction and I'm planting it inside of you as foundation. Now I want you to build from that. The season's going to look different. 
It may not feel as easy. Now I want you to apply everything I just introduced you to. Are you with me? Those seasons of instruction are often a lot more challenging, a lot more complicated. So they finally get in to the promised land, and God gave them very specific instructions. God gave Israel, okay, now that you're in, 40 years, a whole generation died off. Now that you're into the promised land, the first city you're going to overtake is called Jericho. The first city that you're going to overtake is called Jericho. And to do that, I need you to listen to some very specific instructions. If you're going to win in this next season, and you're going to find my provision in this next season, it's going to be by my instruction. I gave you what you needed in the previous one, but now you, if you're going to overtake Jericho, you've got to listen to me very, very carefully. And of course, we know some of the, without recounting the whole story of how God did it, in a very strange way, and how they had to march around the city, and they had, they had, how they had to shout, and at, at the shout, all of a sudden, the walls came tumbling down, right? It's a supernatural miracle. It doesn't make sense. You're like, yeah, that's a metaphor. No, it wasn't. It was real. It happened. It's called a miracle. It doesn't make sense to your mind. Nothing that God does that's heavenly will make sense to your natural earthly mind, right? Just the way He works. It's the way he is. The kingdom and the kingdom, everything is backwards. Somebody asked me, why is your logo, why is the K backwards? They said you should change it. I said because the kingdom is backwards. In the kingdom, everything's upside down. You give to receive. To go higher, you go lower. You want to be first, be last. Everything in the kingdom is on an upside down. It doesn't make sense. My wisdom is also often God's foolishness. It's foolishness to God. It's like that doesn't make sense, Sean. But that makes sense to me. No, what makes sense to God often is what feels foolish to us. It would feel foolish to, sh to walk around a, a city and think that by the seventh day and on, the shout, on a certain shout, the walls are just going to come crumbling down. That feels a little bit foolish, right? But that was God's instruction. You know why it was foolish? Because sometimes God, well actually I'd say all the time, God wants you to step into supernatural faith by trusting him in ways that make no sense so that your faith rests on his power and not your own wisdom and strength. This is what Paul said, one of the most studious people of them all who used to kill Christians, who wrote most of the New Testament. He said, like, listen, I come to you not with wise and persuasive words, but I come to you with a demonstration of God's power. He said this, so that your faith may not rest on, God's wi on man's wisdom, but on God's power. I don't want you to trust in yourself more than you trust in God. So I'm going to cause you and I'm going to ask you to do things that feel sound foolish to the average human to show you that I am the God that does the miraculous. Joshua chapter 6, verse 18 to 19. Let's go pick it up back into this storyline. They come in before they, they take over the city. God gives them very specific instructions that when they take over the city, what they're to do with the plunder, what they're to do with all the stuff. And he says this, do not take, in verse 18, any of the things set apart for destructions, destruction, or you yourselves will be completely destroyed. And you will bring trouble on the camp of Israel. In other words, your actions, one person's actions will affect the whole. You ever been on a, like a team at work? where one person's actions of being late or, you know, not on it on the project affects the whole project. 
okay? Well, this is community. This is relationship 101. This is marriage. This is family. When one person suffers, it, does the wrong, it affects the whole, right? You believe that, right? We're, we're, this is why community is so important. How good and pleasant is it when brothers dwell together in unity? God loves unity. He loves community. But he so loves community that he expects community to actually bear the weight of each other. That's, Paul said it in Galatians like this. He said, it's the law of the Lord to carry each other's burdens. It's like his heart that you would carry the person besides you, besides you's burdens so that you could lift them up when they're weak. You can strengthen them when they're weak. And he says, you will bring trouble on the whole camp of Israel. Verse 19, everything made from silver gold, bronze, or iron is sacred to the Lord and must be brought into his treasury. Now, I want to talk really briefly today. That was my introduction. I want to talk really briefly today. It's been a five weeks. Give me, give me, some, give me some grace. The damage of disobedience. Write that down. The damage of disobedience. This is going to be a little bit of a heavy one but in a good way. The damage of disobedience. And I want to talk about this theme from the, from the perspective of violating the kingdom. Like, what it looks like to live in kingdom violation. You ever violated the law? Anybody ever got a speeding ticket before? Anyone want to confess? Speeding ticket? Yeah? Anyone been to jail? Want to confess? Anybody? No? 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 No one wants to admit it? Okay. Okay. We probably at one point, without being caught, all violated the law. Let's just be honest. On the way here, somebody was texting probably and driving. Who was it? It's a word of knowledge. Okay, it's Matt. Okay. <laughs> at some point, and not to make light of that, but at some point, because we have a judge in the room somewhere, but at some, of the point, at some point, you've probably violated the law. But what about the kingdom? When have we violated the kingdom? Sometimes we fear more violating the law than we do the kingdom. That's scary because when you die, the law doesn't even matter. Like, what's more important, eternity or the law right now? I'm not saying break the law, but what I'm saying is that we sometimes fear being caught in a lawful violation, like a speeding ticket, more than we do violating the kingdom. And that's a wrong perspective. Because disobedience isn't only a violation of God's plan, but it's a violation of our own lives and what could be for our lives. When it comes to being disobedient to what God has said, He has a desire for you to live a certain way, a certain kingdom life, when you are disobedient and you ignore his instruction in your life. We're talking about instruction here. If you ignore his instruction, you are violating the kingdom. Why are you violating the kingdom? Because you're robbing God and robbing yourself of living the life you're supposed to live. God has a massive plan for your life. And when you live lower than that, you violate the kingdom. And not only do you just violate the kingdom and you just violate your own life, you actually rob other people from the blessing that you're supposed to be for their lives. There are people in this room that you are called to bless if you are living your full life that you're called to live. You'll only be able to bless them if you are living up to the standard God has created you to live up to. 
So disobedience isn't only a violation of God's plan, it's a violation of our own lives. And we must understand the damage of disobedience. And I believe the Holy Spirit wants to reveal today the detrimental damage of disobedience. Number one, write this down. I want to give you some points on what, da- what, what kind of damage disobedience does to our lives when it comes to not following the instructions of God in our life. Number one, write this down. The disobedient, the damage of disobedience, disobedience makes us a thief. Write that down. It makes us a thief. Remember the importance of following the instructions. Israel had instructions from God. When you go into Jericho, don't touch any of the things that are set apart for destruction. And I want you to save the the iron. I want you to save the bronze, the silver, the gold, and bring them into the treasury. Another word is the storehouse. It's actually the first time the word treasury is used in all of Scripture. And it says in Joshua chapter 7 verse 1, but Israel, everybody say it with me, violated the instructions. You know, it actually wasn't Israel that violated the instructions. It was one man who did. But God didn't look at the one man. He said, no, I see the whole. Because when one person acts up, I see it as a whole. You're all affected. I want us just to think for a second. Imagine the things in life that we're not winning in. I wonder how much it has to do with the lack of community involvement in any area of our life. Whether it's family whether it's relationships, whether it's church, whether it's projects at work, when one person is not bringing their A game, I wonder, what, I wonder how much we lose in life because of just one person sometimes. It says here, Israel violated the instructions about the things set apart for the Lord. A man named Achan had stolen some of these dedicated things, so the Lord was very angry with the Israelites. One man stole some stuff because right after, if you do not listen to the instructions of God, you act as a thief. You're stealing from God's ability to reward your step of faith. This was a a step of faith God was asking them to take. This was a, there was very specific heart reasons why God said the first battle that 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 you win, don't touch anything. It's all mine. There's very specific reasons why he said that. Because you've just been in 40 years of letting me provide for you. Letting me provide for you. And if you go in and your first battle and you start believing it's because of your own strength, all the things I've been trying to teach you for 40 years have gone out the window. The reason why I don't want you to touch anything, I want you to step into a faith realm that trusts me with everything like you did in the wilderness, the reason why you can't touch anything is because I want to make sure your first battle, you don't believe it's you, you don't believe it's your own strength, that you still keep me at front and center in your life. Because now you're in a promised land where you got the milk and you got the honey. You don't have the quail, you don't have the manna. Now you're going to be tempted to think that it's all about what you can do and not what I can do. So I need all of the plunder. I need everything that you get from this first battle. I want it all. I want it all. The next battles that you're going to face, hey, you can pick and choose. You can take whatever you want. But this one, it's mine. It's a test of your faith to see 
now that you're in the promised land, will you be obedient? And I'm going to elaborate on this a little bit more. But write this down. To steal from God is to withhold what's his. To steal from God is to disobey his instructions over us. To steal from God is not to live the life we are called to live. We make ourselves a thief when we are disobedient in any area that we know we should be obedient in. And for some of you, that sounds like a weird swear word, being obedient. Like, what is God, this slave master? No. Another word for obedience is just simply surrender. Simple humility, like humbling ourselves. When God asks us to do something, we don't do it. And we, and because of our own fears or whatever the reason, whatever the justifiable reason is, every time we are disobedient, we act as a thief because we rob God from the reward he wants to give us because of the step of faith we take. When Achan took that stuff, he and his family robbed the whole community of God's blessing in that moment. Because we know the story, the very next battle, what happened? They lost. They lost the next battle because they didn't listen to the instructions for the first one. You will lose in the next season if you don't listen to God in this one. If you think the grass is greener on the other side, let me just tell you, when you get there, if you don't listen to God in this one, the grass will never be greener on the other side. It will be dead. And you'll wonder why. It's because you didn't listen to God in the first one. Everyone's quitting stuff all the time. Like we're going from thing to thing to thing to thing to thing, thinking that the next thing is better. But let me just tell you, the next thing is actually worse if you don't listen to God in the first thing. Whenever we disobey God's instruction, we steal from him. We steal from his desire to reward our step of faith. They did not steward the instruction of God and therefore missed out, lost their next battle. And I think the sin of Achan, this was a man named Achan who stole these things because he wanted them. He, he wanted this beautiful robe, wanted the silver, wanted the gold. He stole these things. And I think this sin of Achan, and I've shown this in my video, is amplified in the church today. Imagine what it would be like to have, to, 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 and I know this is maybe idealistic in nature because it's like everyone's on a different journey and I know that everyone's in a different process and not everyone's going to be there. But imagine what it would look like to be in a community or to see the big C church rise up and actually listen to God with everything. Like what would happen? Like the church would be at the center of society like it's supposed to be. And not as a system, not as an infrastructure, but as a people. The people of God would be seen because the church of God, which is the people, would be seen as people that know their God and are making him known in a powerful way because they're listening to his instruction every step of the way. Remember Judas? He prioritized money over God. It stole, betrayed. He stole money from Jesus. You know that? He was taking money all the time. He was the money man. He was the money changer. He was the money holder. He was taking money from Jesus all the time. Even It says this in the book of John. He was taking money. He would take some for himself. And then what was the very thing that basically put Jesus on a cross? 30 pieces of silver. Money. Money has this really strange way of deceiving people, causing you to betray people. 
What happens in, often in business relationships? What, where, where's the breakdown usually? It's usually around money. One of the number, number one reasons for divorce is actually not adultery. It's money issues. Money stresses. Money is a God. Money is the only other thing Jesus addresses as a God. Matthew, Matthew 6.26, Matthew 6.24, sorry. Money is, is considered a God. He compares the love of God to the love of money. It was both Judas and John, who represents the love of God, sitting beside Jesus at the Last Supper. The love of money and the love of God on either side of Jesus. Why? Because at every table of life, you're going to have the temptation to love money or love God. Judas prioritized money over God and he lost everything. Kind of like what Achan had. He, he wanted something for himself. Instead of trusting God with the process, he wanted the money. It was resource. It was a beautiful robe. It was silver. It was bronze. It was gold. He wanted the money. He maybe thought, I'm finally out of the wilderness. I hadn't had anything for very long. So now I'm in the promised land. So this is my chance. This is my chance to start my business. I don't know what he was thinking. But it affected the whole community. Man, I, I just wonder what would happen. I, you know, I, I referenced this earlier. The reason why, one of the main reasons why God said, are you guys here? Are you with me? Are you okay? I know it's dark in here. Don't be too comfortable in these comfortable chairs. Don't fall asleep on me. I will wake you up. That's why I talk loud. But I, I the reason why God wanted all of that in this battle with Jericho it's because, like I said, God knew there would be temptation that once they got into their promise, finally, they got their breakthrough, finally, that they may forget God in the process, that he's still number one, that he's still their provider. So the first battle, it's all mine. And this is actually a direct, indirect correlation to Deuteronomy 8.18. It's a direct connection to Deuteronomy 8.18. He says this, Deuteronomy was a book of preparation, so when they got into the promised land, this is how they need to live and act. Deuteronomy was a preparation book of transition for Israel. It says in Deuteronomy 8.18, but remember the Lord your God. Remember. Why does it say remember? Because you might forget. Remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth, and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors, as it is today. Remember. The Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. This confirms his, his covenant because you'll be tempted to forget. When you get into the promised land, remember, it's still me. So the first battle at Jericho, listen to my instruction. Don't touch these things. They're mine. Bring them into the treasury, which represents the house of God. If you trust me with the first, I will bless you with the rest. If you trust me in this first battle... I will bless the rest because I need to make sure I'm still at the forefront of your focus. Because I know that money is a tempter. Money might drive you. Material things might drive you. I need to be front and center. Like I said, first time treasury is ever mentioned in this process, in this scripture here. This is the same treasury that is mentioned in Malachi. You know that? Talking about the tithe. Now this is not a tithing message. But it is connected. The same exact 
treasury that he's talking about is simply the storehouse. When you bring it into the storehouse, the tithe is brought into the storehouse. He's like, trust me in this. Don't touch this stuff. It belongs in my house. This resource belongs in my house. The first battle, it all belongs in my house. The first, the chiefest part, the first part, the most important part. That was the most important battle they ever fought. You know why? Because it was the first one. He said, it belongs in my house. It says in Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you. And they say, but how can we return? Like, how can we return? And he says how you can return. Why, Why would returning to God look like tithing and giving your offering? Think about that. That's so, so ridiculous to me. Wouldn't it be about the heart? No, because sometimes the greatest heart response is an action. I need to get the God right in your life because right now it's money is your God. I need the God to be right. I need to be first. So the action is a reflection of what God you're serving. That's what he's saying here. Return to me and I'll return to you. Trust me with the first. It's like what happened to to Achan. I need to get this right. You took what was mine. And he says this, return to me, I'll return to you. How we return. And and in verse 8, yet you've robbed me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. In verse 10 it says this, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so there may be food in my house. This is the treasury. Bring the whole tithe. People were breaking it up. A little bit here, a little bit there. No, I want the first. It would be the equivalent of like, okay, like God, you could have some of the first battle. Like here, here's some gold, here's some silver, here's a couple robes, you know, here's a couple, you know, resources for the treasury in the house of God. And God's like, no, I want the whole thing. The first battle, it's all mine. Are you with me? And then he says, test me in this. Test me in this. Why? Because I want to teach you how to trust me. I want to teach you how to trust me. So the damage of disobedience, when we're not trusting God with our first, we're not trusting God. Maybe for you, it is your tithe into the storehouse of God. Whatever church you go to, wherever you eat from, maybe that is for you the issue. You don't trust God with your first. You're taking it. Let me just tell you, it's the one thing you can test him in. You say, oh, it's Old Testament. Let me tell you, I can show you tons of New Testament scriptures where it's just normal life. Normal life. Generosity is above and beyond a tithe. We can argue all day. If you want to argue and give lower than 10%, you can do that, but you're missing out. When you trust God with your first 10 and you can give above and beyond that, you are, you're, you are set free in a whole different way. Because it's one action that you can do physically that is a reflection of your heart. It truly is. It changes the game. Disobedience damages us and makes us a thief. Number two, write this down. Write this down. Strength becomes relevant. When we're disobedient, strength becomes irrelevant. Like I said, they lost their next battle. It says in Joshua chapter 7 verse 2, he sent some of his men Jericho from Jericho to spy out the town of Ai, east of Bethel, near Beth Haven. When they returned, they told Joshua, there's no need for all of us to go up there. It won't take more than two or 3,000 men to attack Ai. You know why they said that? Because they were self-confident. They had no instruction from God at this point. They had instruction. They disobeyed it. That was the instruction. Don't touch the stuff. Don't touch my first. They're like, okay, now we have AI to go against. Now, oh, we got this. We got this. 
You ever had that, 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 that feeling? You had a breakthrough, and all of a sudden, the next one, it's like, okay, now nah, I'm good. That's the most dangerous place to be. Once you get a breakthrough, you're living in the most dangerous place. Before your, your breakthrough, you're always in the safest place because you have nothing to lose. When you have the breakthrough, you're in the most dangerous place because the test is, will you continue to listen to his instruction to maintain the breakthrough? Israel broke through, conquered a city, heard God's instruction. Now they're against the next one. They're like, oh, we got this. We don't even need that many guys. So approximately 3,000 warriors were sent, but they were soundly defeated, verse 4. They chased the Israelites from the town gate as far as the quarries. They killed about 36 who were retreating down the slope. The Israelites were paralyzed with fear at this turn of events, and their courage melted away. Strength becomes irrelevant when pride is present. Your gifts, your talents, your own strengths become irrelevant when pride is present. Because pride says, I don't need God anymore. Pride says, I don't need to listen to God anymore. The same God that brought me to here cannot bring me over here. As soon as pride is prevalent or present, that's when the fall begins. Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction and haughtiness before fall. I had an interesting situation happen. I would say that I had... I had about three weeks off in July, and uh, I'd say that it was probably one of the worst vacations I've ever had in my life. The first nine days were great. I think it was day nine. I was wakeboarding, so I hadn't wakeboarded in 25 years. And, uh, you know, I snowboarded. I've snowboarded for like almost 30 years. And so, I, you know, I, I, w- I, w- I went wakeboarding, and wakeboarding is just like snowboarding, and I hadn't done it for a while. I got up the first time. It was great. It was easy. It was just like snowboarding. It was like... Muscle memory, it just was easy. Having a great time. But as you know, if you haven't done something in a while, different parts of your body are on fire. You know what I'm talking about. My feet were numb. I mean, I had these bindings on. They were super tight. My quads were on fire. I was so tired. At one point, I was just hanging on with one arm. I was just so tired. Like cortisol was like, you know, reverberating through my body. I was like a little shaky, hungry, thirsty. Eventually, I just let go. And I was just done. And the boat driver was like, hey, why don't you try wake skating? And I'm like, oh, I'm so tired. Cut the board off. My feet were numb. Couldn't feel my feet. My quads were on fire. I was shaky. I was like, oh, I don't know. I'm tired. So I said, you know, probably out of my pride, like, I can do this. I'm not that old yet. I'll have what I need. And so I said to her, I said to the, uh, the driver, I said to the guy, I said, I'll try it twice, and if I don't get up, then I'm going to come into the boat. Note to self, when you have a gut-level instruction, trust that gut-level instruction. It's probably God speaking to you. I said, I'll try it twice, and I'll come into the boat. And so I, I tried it twice. Now, wake skating is like a smaller version of a wakeboard. It's not wake surfing for those of you who know what wake surfing is. It's not wake surfing. Wake surfing is a different kind of boat, and you're just riding the wake. It's totally different. Wake skating is a smaller version of a, of a wakeboard, but you have no bindings, and you're, you're basically just standing on a board gripped with your bare feet, holding rope the whole time. So it's a lot more dangerous. And so I didn't get up the first two times. What did I say? I'll try it twice, and I'll come in. I didn't get up the first two times. The guy was like, oh, come on, just do it one more time. 
And in my, like, okay, my pride, this guy's asking me, you know, maybe it was a little bit of ego. I don't know what was there. I'm like, I'm just going to do it, and I'm going to get it done, and I'm going to get it done this time. I didn't trust my gut. Let me just tell you, pride comes before the fall, right? I get up that time. I'm like, see, I can do it. I know how to do it. I get up. It's all going good until. Ever had, everyone had those moments before where it's all going good until? Like, and I'm like, I'm riding this, this, this board, and, and the board, I hit a wave, and the board kicks in front of me. But because I'm so tired and, like, dysfunctional in my mind, like, I'm just so out of it, I don't let go of the rope. And the rope drags me down and comes in and lacerates my leg right down to the bone. And I, I get out, I'm in the water, and I can feel flesh flapping in the water. I'm like, uh-oh. I can feel like, you know, like a little flappy, flappy like flesh, like moving in the water. Sorry for all the queasy people in the room. I'm more queasy than you, let me tell you, though. I bring my leg up, and I can see the bone, I can see the cartilage, and I go into shock in the water. So they had to pull me out of the water. I don't need to give you all these details, probably, but it's kind of fun. They had to put the cartilage back in and sew me up. I had to go to the, you know, the hospital, the whole thing. All that to say... It was like the next 10 days, 12 days were brutal. I could barely walk, and it was like brutal vacation. But all I have to say is this. Trust the instruction. Because when you are disobedient to what you know is right because of pride, even if you have all the strength in the world, it's irrelevant. I felt like I had the strength. I'm a relatively strong guy. But let me just tell you, when pride gets in the way, your strength becomes irrelevant. Every day of the week. That's the damage of disobedience. Number three, write this down. We're almost done. Number three. Number three. Prayer loses its power when you're disobedient. Prayer loses its power. You're like, well, how is that biblical? How can prayer ever lose its power? Let me tell you why. Let me show you in Joshua chapter 7. Let me show you how God responds to the people. Joshua and the elders of Israel tore their clothing in dismay, threw dust on their heads after this all happened. So after they lost to AI, they lost the battle, they're having, like, they're not happy. They're freaking out a little bit. Like, what do we do? They're throwing dust in the air, they're whole, tearing their clothes. Imagine that. We should start that kind of practice at church when something goes wrong. <laughs> like Hulk Hogan style. Anyways, they bowed their face to the ground before the ark of the Lord until evening. Listen to this. Then Joshua cried out. He's like in prayer. He cries out, Oh, sovereign Lord, why did you bring us across the Jordan River if you're going to let the Amorites kill us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side. Lord, what can I say now that Israel has fled from its enemies? For when the Canaanites and all the other people living in the land hear about it, they will surround us and wipe our name off the face of the earth. And then what will happen to the honor of your great name? But the Lord, listen to this, the Lord said to Joshua, Get up. Why are you lying on your face like this? In other words, why are you even praying when you disobeyed the instruction? Like, there is no point. This is what he's saying. There is no point to what you're saying. Imagine how many prayers we've prayed that God is like, without saying it to you outright, like, why are you even saying that when you haven't listened to the first thing I told you? Like, why are you even praying for the spouse when you didn't even go for the coffee with the first person I brought to you? Like, 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 why, why are you even praying about the breakthrough when the first breakthrough I brought you, you said no in the interview because it wasn't perfect? Why are you even praying for a job when I already gave you a job? You get what I'm saying? 
It's like, how many prayers have we prayed that are totally useless, powerless? I think a lot. Why are you even praying about your health, let me tell you this one, when you eat like garbage every day? I'm not saying don't pray for your health. I'm just saying I wonder. God's like, I've given you a temple. It's called your body. Steward it well. You wonder why you're sore. You wonder you don't exercise. You don't eat well. Like, these are practical things, you guys. And sometimes we pray about things we want God to fix when God's like, no, you have the power to fix it. Stop praying about it. I'm not saying everything. Don't hear me. General, I'm, I'm generalizing here. But I wonder how much prayer is actually powerless. God said to him, get up. Why are you lying on your face like this? Israel has sinned and broken my covenant. They have not only stolen some of the things that I commanded must be set apart for me, but they have not only stolen them, they have lied about it and hidden the things among their own belongings. And this is why, listen to this, verse 12. This is why the Israelites are running from their enemies in defeat. They were running in defeat in the next battle because of one man's sin. Because the whole community was held accountable for one man's sin. Prayer loses its power. Number four, last point, we're done. The damage of disobedience, it destroys our lives. Achan's end wasn't very pretty. Achan died. This is how things were dealt with back in the day. It was called the law of sin and death for a reason. If you broke God's instruction, this is what happened. This is why Jesus came to fulfill the law that man could never fulfill and be a better covenant. So that the penalty of sin would no longer be death. This is the beauty of the gospel. But in this time, Achan's life didn't end so well. How do we apply this metaphorically, symbolically, to a new covenant mentality, to a new covenant lifestyle? Well, let me just tell you, when you disobey what God has called you to do, it will destroy your life in the end. It's a slow destruction. It's a slow destruction. You stop listening to God. You stop obeying God in the little things. Maybe it's not trusting God with your first 10%. Maybe it's not trusting God with your money. Maybe it's not trusting God with your, your relationships or your job or, or just any area of your life. Maybe you've just, you've just stopped trusting in God. The more you do that, the more you self-destruct. I'm not going to read all these scriptures here, but I do want to read one thing because this brings it home and it brings it back to the beginning, back in the garden. But in Joshua chapter 7, Joshua chapter 7, verse, let me find it here. Seven verse 20. When Achan was exposed, he replied, it's true I did. I've sinned against the Lord. Among the plunder I saw a beautiful robe from Babylon, 200 silver coins and a bar of gold weighing more than a pound. I wanted them so much that I took them. I wanted them so much that I took them. You see what greed does. I wanted them so much that I took them. This is exactly what happened in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, when the woman saw the fruit on the tree. She wanted it so bad that she took it. What happened? It destroyed humanity. It put a wedge between God and humanity, between man and, between man and God, sorry. It put a, a wall between us and God. 
it destroyed, it brought self-destruction. This is, this is the battle since the beginning of time. When we want something so bad, we disobey. And when we disobey, we self-destruct. I want you to stand up with me as we close here. The very last verse, verse 26 of Joshua chapter 7, after Achan was destroyed, after his family was destroyed, everything was burned. As the punishment for this disobedience, it says here in the verse 26, they piled a great heap of stones over Achan, which remains to this day. That is why the place has been called the Valley of Trouble ever since. I wonder in this room how many of us have been living in a metaphoric valley of trouble because of disobedience to the things that God has been asking us to do. I wonder how much trouble we have in our lives and other areas of our lives. How many valleys of trouble we're listening, we're living in right now because of areas that God had called us to change and we didn't do it right away. I wonder. That's for you to figure out, God, is there any areas of my life, any valleys of trouble that I'm in right now that I put myself in? But ultimately, sin is what destroys our lives more than anything. And God wants to set us free this morning. I want you to lift your hands this morning. So as we close, Romans chapter 6, 22, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal. In the end, the best thing that you can do in this room this morning is get your life right with Him. Maybe there have been some areas where you've been disobedient. Maybe there's been some areas that you've, you've, you've said no to God and now you're living in a valley of trouble. Maybe you have never said yes to God and let Him be the leader of your life. Maybe you've never established this relationship with God. Now is your, your chance. I want to give you an opportunity. If you're in this room and you want to come back into this relationship with God or you want to for the first time enter into a relationship with God or you even just want to make the decision to rededicate your life in obedience to the things that God has told you to do, I want you to just lift your hand up boldly right now with every eye closed. I want to pray with you. Just keep your hand up. Just keep your hand up. The best decision you can do is to make a, a turn, to turn back towards Him. To say, God, I apologize. I am not going to live in disobedience. The trouble I'm living in right now maybe is because I put myself there. Maybe I blamed you. But God, you're like, hey, I gave you the instruction and I didn't listen. God, I pray for everyone in this room today. I pray for an overwhelming sense of grace and mercy to fall upon every person in this room. That God, you release your strength, your grace, your mercy, your kindness. God, show them your love. I pray, God, today for people for the first time to give their lives over to you. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead, on the third day you will be saved. It's a starting point. All you have to do is look up and say, God, I'm, I'm in. I'm in. I want to receive your forgiveness today. I believe you're God and I want, I want to walk with you in relationship. I no longer want to be living that disobedient life. I don't want to live the consequences of that damage. I want to live free and set free today. So as we close this morning, one last time, I want all of us to lift our hands up. 
I'm going to pray that God breaks that cycle over us right now, that cycle of disobedience, that cycle, those patterns that are holding us back. God, today we stand together breaking the patterns, breaking the cycles, breaking the things that we want to return to, breaking those things, God. We're not going to be those dogs in the room returning to the vomit, but God, today we're breaking through and we're breaking out of the things that confine us, the limitations that hold us, all the things that are pushing us down and back. God, today we're breaking through. We're breaking through cycles. We're breaking through patterns in Jesus' name. Come on, let's begin to worship as we close. Let's begin to worship. God, we thank you for what you're going to do for miracles in this season, miracles in our body, miracles in our finances, miracles in our minds, our hearts, our bodies, in Jesus' name. We trust you. We trust you with everything. It's a trust season. It's a trust season. It's a trust season.